on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're filling our minds with all manner of filthy, filthy thoughts, thanks to Channel 4's Pure. We'll be welcoming Jennifer Garner back to our living rooms in the American adaptation of Julia Davis' Camping, flinging ourselves into deep space with Game of Thrones author George R.R. R. Martin for Night Flyers, and having our very own Groundhog Day experience with Netflix's Russian Doll which sees Natasha Leone reliving the same evening over and over again. On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're filling our minds with all manner of... Fil- no, I'm sorry. That was a really, really first base joke, but I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> Stop, please. <laughs> I'm James Dyer, and over the course of the next hour or so, we will wade once more into the black morass of modern telly, sifting through the murky waters to find precious nuggets of worthwhile entertainment so that you don't have to. Pulling on their galoshes beside me are, as ever, my two co-hosts, the sweep and sue to my sooty, if you will, only with slightly less whispering in Matthew Corbett's ear. Uh, First up, we have a woman whose ongoing transition from SVU watching, misery porn addicted, true crime guzzling misanthrope to Trek-loving, prime directive-respecting Klingon conversationalist... It was still very much a work in progress. It is Terry White. I don't know if enjoying one episode of Star Trek Discovery means that, you know, I'm a convert to your planet. It's a gateway drug, Terry. It's it's sucking it you in. Well, well, I'm not fully converted. I'm not high, 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 high quite yet. You're at the thin end of the wedge. <laughs> You're starting Always. down the slippery slope. Always. It's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. Next, we have a man who we're all very pleased to say has recovered from battling with his inner demons, a struggle depicted to great effect by Timothy Chalamet in the biographical account of his young years, Beautiful Boyd. Uh, how are you, Boyd? Oh, I love the idea that I might even be vaguely in the ballpark <laughs> somehow as Timothy Chalamet, the world's most attractive young man. Well, this was this was presumably like, because when you see him in the film, this is before your battle with substance abuse. So, and yeah, absolutely. Obviously what we see now Oh, is, I reckon in 40 is... years' time he's going to look like me. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Exactly yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, now you've been somewhere exciting this week, haven't you? I've been lots of places. Do you mean which one? Do you, do you mean you don't mean the National TV Awards because that's like no, you know I, beneath I could, you. Could care that's less. So beneath. But can I just say, Peaky Blinders won, which is especially they do reward yeah, good things yes, as well. Sometimes. Yes, as, yeah, as, it's a public vote, right? It's a public vote. Yeah, yes. I was quite surprised. My, being like, my mum had a question about the TV. Oh, okay, awards, there you go. And she called me to ask me about this because I'm apparently a, in inverted commas TV expert, not knowing that I didn't even know what's happening or what it is and uh, she said I don't understand how come Antor Deck won an award when he hasn't presented for like a year they have because in the calendar year last year they had seven episodes of Saturday Night Takeover which is the best entertainment show on television so it's fine it's fine. There, there was some controversy. There, there was, but let's, that, let's but say, that right? controversy was overrated because it's not because that's still a brilliant show, and they did present it together in that calendar year, so it's still valid. But more excitingly, I met Bros, so you know, suck on that. Wow, Luke and Matt, Luke still. Ab- the two of them could not be more different. Still, kind of a bickering a bit. Mm. Absolutely mobbed they were everywhere they went due to obviously the documentary that we discussed in a previous episode of this very program, and which is being repeated on BBC Two and it'll be on iPlayer quite a lot for people who haven't seen it yet. So, but they were. I spoke to Luke quite a lot about the phenomenon of the documentary, and he is thrilled by the whole thing. You know how like people think, oh, but you come across as doofuses at the very least. And he was like, yeah, doesn't matter. You know, they've completely revived them in a spectacular way. The question way. is, how much of the documentary is dedicated? Dedicated to the career high point, which is of course Blade Two. Um, not much. I think he mentioned briefly because there was at the beginning this whole thing about um, Luke d- loving films and being in films and directing his own films. Yeah, yeah. But 
how much of it is is cynical, right? So I kind of get all this like, oh, they're quite into it actually, even though they look stupid and they say stupid things in the show. How many of those are kind of crafted to get this oh, very response? I, I think it's absolutely real. Um, so I think two things about it, because I, I met the producer of the film as well, and she was like, it's completely real. We spent months and months and months with them and all the conflict was happening and we were amazed. Equally, I think, particularly Luke, more than Matt, I would say, is aware He's very yes. self-aware. And I think he's aware of... He wasn't going to censor himself, but he's definitely aware now that, that how they were depicted has been so extraordinary that it's benefited them massively. So I think he's just kind of aware of what, how it worked as it did. But I don't think he was ever putting it on. I think all his reactions were absolutely real. So it's kind of... Do you know what I mean? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But, so that was the NTAs. Do you mean Fleabag last night? Though? I do mean Fleabag, yes. <laughs> Fleabag I went to as well. Um, I was going to turn to the TV news, because there was casting news officially, but all I would say is episode one of season two is fucking incredible whoa an f-bomb yeah an f-bomb from boy i mean we'll review it when it's gonna arrive early march apparently but i found that yeah spring <laughs> spring slash early march anyway we'll obviously review it review the shit out of it but for me it was even better than any of the episodes of series one obviously series one oh, i could not be more jealous that you've um, seen this. it was unbelievable and like andrew scott who's the main new character plays a sweary priest i can't see anymore incredible brilliant casting I love him anyway. Uh, uh, so just, she's just, wor- the, and her descriptions of the creative process. Also, she's the, one of the best writers talking about her process I've ever seen. So interesting. How she, what, So one little example is that she was saying, she writes all the scripts and everything, she's like, very late, delivers them really late, so the BBC can't like give her any notes. Mm. <laughs> and then they're on set, and she will suddenly take all the sides away from the actors as they're about to do a big scene, and go off and now and rewrite them because you'll suddenly think, oh no, the words aren't sounding right out of their mouths, and I've got to rehone. She's honing it right to the last minute while they're filming it, and it still comes out absolutely brilliant. That doesn't sound in any way incredibly tense for the actors. And it is incredibly tense for the actors and director. So yeah, Fleabag, unbelievably extraordinary. Okay, can't wait for everyone to see it. Can I talk about what I've watched over and over again in the last seven days? And it's going to be that this. ridiculous fire thing, isn't so it? So I I talked about this on last week's pod in terms of saying I couldn't wait to see it and I'd stayed up all night to try and download it but it hadn't come online before not long enough before we did the pod I watched it in Paris went to Paris for the weekend and I basically sat in a hotel room and watched this it is one of the most remarkable documentaries I've seen in years like genuine what the fuck is happening moments over and over and over again genuinely shocking stuff that you can't believe people are actually saying on camera and allowing to be broadcast to the world it has it's just classic kind of storytelling beats of fraud and of like um conflict and millennial kids being tricked and the whole thing is so extraordinary and whatever you know about the fire festival and whatever you read it is a hundred times more ridiculous more explosive than you ever possibly knew um there was one on hulu that went out at the same time that i don't think has come to the uk no, yeah. i thought but, it'd be on amazon but it's not no it's, it's not but yeah. the netflix one i have to say oh. is remarkable Incredible. right boyd we've been tweeting about this <laughs> yeah i mean there's so no spoilers there is one um, there's yes. someone said a lot of people when you say to people oh there's this documentary about the fire festival uh, and a few people said this to me last night the screening they were like oh yeah but i know all about that then one other person came in i'm going to drop the name andrew scott oh, obsessed with it right he monster. watched it he's like yeah it's the best documentary ever and he said as he said quite right it's this person well you think you know the story yes. but the one scene there's one scene particularly where a man admits to doing something very extreme 
in order to facilitate something. Yeah. The water story, the yes. water-based story, the water import tax stories, it should be known, is so incredible. And that hasn't been, that's, you won't know that story. And the, and he's, the man involved is selling it himself. And it, honestly, it's unbelievable. So yeah, every step of the way, it is, it is people, and, and there's a the really moving bit with a woman yeah. um, who there's now the, the GoFundMe page for, who lost 50,000 pounds, 50,000, whatever it was, of her own money because of how they're exploited and treated by these this idiot who ran the whole thing. Well, because um, kind of lulls at millennials being idiots yeah. aside, it's there's really fascinating stuff, which essentially is about kind of the exploitation of of local labour, of local economies, kind of, you know, people, you see this all the time, people fly in, kind of take over this place and actually what that does and the consequences of that for the for the um, locals is really fascinating and quite sobering actually um, but it's funny in parts it's like it's genuinely moving in parts it is the best couple of hours of telly and I've seen it three times in the last week <laughs> I'm going to watch it again I'm never going to watch it but I'm watch sure it's great. Why, why, why won't you watch it what's the matter with you it's just not going to happen guys James, why? Have, you got something, yeah, have you got something against documentaries now you only watch sci-fi fiction nonsense I have another three and a half seasons of The Shield to go oh, my time is valuable <laughs> You know, documentaries are where it's at. You know, when you think of it, Bros, this, Fire Festival, yeah. others, they are, you know, it's it's the, it's the one of the key big world's advances in television or whatever you call it, or film or whatever. I mean, these are made for television, I think. I have no so. time for your documentaries. <laughs> I file them with your comedies oh, as things God. that I will not be watching. Jesus. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, it's not happening. You're so obtuse because yeah. you, if you watch this, I know you, you would actually really fucking like it and we would have a very good discussion yeah. about it. But because you've now made a point of not watching it, you will now not watch it for here's, the rest yeah. of the time because here's that my is theory. a classic James Dyer theory. thing to do. If James Dyer doesn't discover something first and then everyone else is telling him how brilliant it is, he's, that's, the yes. thing, that's the key thing. If he'd watched it first, yes. he'd be fine with it and he'd be lecturing us all on how brilliant it is. Because he's last to the sharp programme, he doesn't want to admit that he has to watch it and it's good. Is it fair to say that there's nothing you hate more than something that's popular? That you haven't discovered first. <laughs> like Game right. of Thrones, because I'm sure he like he read the books first. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he Funny enough, it. Boyd, I, I read the books in the late 90s. Oh, see. So, uh, We've what already a... had this conversation, oh, believe me. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, you know, Game of Thrones is like the biggest show on TV. I've enjoyed it. Like it. free therapy. It's, <laughs> good. it's good. Thank you for that psychoanalysis. Okay. What I've been watching, I've been pressing on with The Punisher, Terry will be pleased to know, which I've been enjoying oh. watching... Uh, Watching Frank Castle beat the living shit out of a bunch of weightlifters—that was quite fun. Have they done anything um, original or interesting in that show yet? I mean, he he got he stove in a Russian gangster's head with a free weight. Oh. That was pretty exciting. Mm. Uh, and and because I I interviewed uh, Lisa McGee this week, I watched a few mm. episodes, rewatched a few episodes of Derry Girls, which is even better than I remembered it was. Even though it's a comedy, and obviously I don't like comedy, but genuinely so funny. You keep saying, I oh, don't do comedy, but then sometimes you do do comedy when it's really good well, and you have forced to watch it and you admit it's really good. Following on from your, you like that as well? Following on from your analysis, I got into Derry Girls before it moved to Netflix uh, and became popular. Right. So, you know. Yeah, well. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> so clearly that's the reason why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was good. Good. I got lots of exciting nuggets on uh, on Series 2. It is brilliant how Derry Girls has become time. a global phenomenon now. Yes, it has. Netflix. It has. Apparently they get recognised yeah. a lot in America yeah. uh, since it's been great. on Netflix. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you'll also be thrilled to know that I am now into season four of The Shield, where uh, Glenn Close has joined as the new captain, which is very exciting. But also more like now famous people, like uh, uh, Michael Pena turns up in this, uh, and um, Clark Gregg is in this as a serial rapist. It's, uh, yeah, oh, it's, I'm having This is time. like a weekly slot. It's famous people you first spotted in The <laughs> yeah, Shield. That's right. <laughs> this is, yeah. I was going to mention of what we're watching this week. This is the section we're doing. Um, two 
incredibly long-running mainstream TV dramas that I think were, were are just worth mentioning. So Cold Feet, right? Yeah. It's been going what? for years. I know. But I watched it the other night. I've always liked it. And I think actually for what it is, it's, you know, it's a show, a very middle-class, middle-brow show in many ways about, you know, these three couples. One of them died ages ago. One of the women died ages ago. But the Adam. writing, or actually what? the writing and the wit... And the imagination in coffee is really, really. Are we strong. talking current or current. original? You no, know, it came back. So it's, it came I do. Back. That's why I'm asking the question I, yeah, with, with some shock. Because the cre- original creator, Mike Thingy, he still writes it all himself, and it's the quality. It's a really it good. So it's high quality, see, mainstream, accessible, but very finely honed, good comedy drama. See, good. I watched every episode up until it left, oh, and okay. I haven't watched it since it came back. Um, but I kind of assumed it would be a bit like you remember, like coupling after Richard Coyle left. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of, I had, it, I just had it. I, that's no, kind of good. how I wrote it off in no, my head. No, it's really good, and um, that's really good. And, and here's the big one, the real surprise one. I'm going to, I'm going to devastate you with this. Silent Witness. Silent Witness, right? Which is currently on BBC One. Yes. Amanda Don't look Burton. at me like that. Don't Amanda look at me Burton. like that. SVU, SVU person. Why do I think is it, this has become? Bully no. tries to make popularity. <laughs> tries to like speak to the masses. Amanda, right? Amanda Burns not anymore. She hasn't is been she not? In it. No, she hasn't been in it for years. Who's it, in it? Amelia Fox, right? So Amelia Fox is the current lead in Silent Witness. Yep. It's also got David Liz Carr, who's brilliant in it. Um, and she's she's in another show that I can't mention she's in because hasn't been announced yet that she's cast. Oh she's God. brilliant. Anyway, but what I'm just going to say is, so the first two parts of this series was about trans issues and was incredibly topical and well-observed and kind of sensitively done and yet really interesting at the same time, honestly. They then had a whole drug-running gang story. It deals with interesting current contemporary issues and it's really well done. And it's surprisingly well-directed and visually interesting. Honestly, it's good. Excited uh, winners. Pretend... For the sake of argument, that I have never seen it and don't know what it is. <laughs> it's people investigating crimes and their and their forensic. It's a forensic team. Is it a British procedural? It, it's it's yes. a British procedural. Yeah. No, not doing it. Oh, of course you're not. <laughs> don't like procedurals. Do you know what we actually have to you start? Love it. But and um, would I, Boyd? We yes. have to start a list, a James Dyer list, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Everything. I think it would be fascinating to analyse the list of all the stuff you refuse to watch. Yes. Right. I'm going to start this list, everybody, <laughs> yeah. right now. With Silent so, Witness and so the Fire Festival. We've got British procedurals. <laughs> well, it's procedurals generally, like comedies. I <laughs> comedies. I, I went through a period, so I watched CSI for like maybe the first seven years. I watched. Oh, sorry. Uh, Wait a minute. <laughs> I, watched, I don't watch procedurals, but I watched seven years, and that's about, I'm doing the math, 140 episodes yeah, or whatever okay. of a show that I don't do. I'm not saying I learned this lesson quickly, but I did eventually Christ. learn it. You know, that, that that kind of dip into, I watched Criminal Minds for at least four years. Oh, you know. but love I love Criminal I, Minds. I need, I need an ongoing story. I need, a, but you I need an don't. arc. You just suddenly decided you do. But all no, the best procedurals have an ongoing right. arc. That's anyway, the yeah, they all have arcs well, anyway. Well, like as Silent Witness does. does it? It's like yes. living in SVU. She is the... She is the the narrative thread in every really? episode. See, I feel, and I say this with absolute authority, having not watched a single episode of the series, that there's the kind of show <laughs> that you could literally watch any episode from any season and be like, yep, all good. No, no. Oh, yeah, that's... in that you could watch any episode from any season and it'd be amazing. Yeah, yes, but correct. Still, <laughs> but there's still arcs, aren't there? There's still special moments. Yeah. There's still... Character developments and character beats, yeah. Oh, I, I did. I, I may have caught some of one. I think it was the one where someone got raped and then they investigated it and some went to prison. That oh, one? yeah, that Snark. one was good. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. I think you one. made some kind of clever point in there yeah, by, good, by taking apart the formula of... <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Oh, look at me. Um, can we, should we move on to news? Yes. Sure. Let's, let's talk about what's been happening in the news this week. Um... There have been a lot of things, but I'm going to start off with the same thing that I brought up on the Empire podcast, which is Gillian Anderson. 
yes. is going to play Margaret Thatcher on The Crown. What's your problem with that? Uh, it's more of a problem with Thatcher than it oh. is with Gillian. See, you have to include her. This is exactly, <laughs> She's part of history. No, this is exactly what ha- her out. I can't imagine it didn't happen. <laughs> this is exactly what I think uh, it's brilliant. Helen did. Helen O'Hara of Empire Podcast She went off the deep end about this. What did she say? She doesn't believe someone as good as Gillian Anderson should play Margaret Thatcher, who she may have referred to as the devil. That's insane. Of course, I agree. Of course, Margaret Thatcher was the devil, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't have a brilliant actor playing them. I playing also her. think what she is, Thatcher's. I ended up reading a biography of her for some unknown reason, um, uh, but I think she would be a fascinating character to play because she was such a yeah. interesting woman. Um, all the stuff about uh, when she became PM, and you know, she had these voice lessons to lower her the tone of her voice so she could command the same respect as a man would. Like, the way she transformed into being something that the British public could accept mm. as a female PM. I th- and, you know, her marriage, and uh, I just think the whole thing around her characterization must be really fascinating. I can see the appeal for an actor. Yeah. If I can see, oh. and I don't. I also don't think you can't, you can't ask actors not to play difficult people right. through history. History is full of difficult and complex and often deeply unpleasant people. They still, they're yeah, part Christian of Christian Bale playing Thingy and Vice, like, obviously hates everything he stands for, Dick but he's Cheney. still yeah. playing the characters. It's an interesting character. Yeah, yeah, all of these so I think it's points. a weird objection, you know, to, to, to kind of somehow criticise them for casting someone brilliant. And by the way, I suddenly realised, when that when that announced, it was like a, it was like a light bulb, because watching Jean Anderson on Sex Education, her English accent is Thatcherite. <laughs> <laughs> it's got this kind of lilting. You know, it really is. And you're like, oh, and that's, that's why it's a bit. So that yeah. is her actual yeah. accent. Oh yeah, I know, yeah. I know. But yeah. she does. She, there is a Thatcher quality to it. And I'm sure that's part of the reason why they cast her because she she does speak like that. She, there's a tone to her, Tambler. Is that a word? <laughs> anyway, yes, she yes, sounds a bit Thatcher. It might be pronounced so I think differently. It's, I think yes. it's good casting. Can you okay. remember? Did anyone ever see that? Um, this is totally random, but when Naomi Watts played Princess Diana, yeah, of course. That, oh the, my god! It was oh my god! Shit. It was so <laughs> atrocious. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, it's the premiere. I think it wasn't the only screening. Was the premiere? I remember that, and everyone, every, the whole of like London, you know, London's media metropolitan elite twat club being <laughs> horrified by this shite film, <laughs> which James is president of. <laughs> <laughs> Honorary president. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay, fine. We'll move from character assassination to actual assassinations. See what I did there? A lovely little segue. <laughs> uh, James Gandolfini's son yes. will play yeah. James Gandolfini in The Many Saints of Newark. That's pretty awesome, isn't I like it? the fact that you've brought film news into the TV podcast. Yeah, the same way you do t- no, TV. you do TV news empire. We're doing film yeah. news. I mean, yeah. of course. That's yeah. it. I mean, yeah. we're going toe-to-toe with them now. Yeah. Fuck them. But it is an effing film. But that is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, has he acted before? I haven't... Investigated the, that part of the story. I don't know. I doubt the answer it. to that. Yeah, but it's, apparently, it's cute, isn't it? It's kind of like, yeah. But I just hope it's not a gimmick. Do well, you no, know what course, I mean? Yeah. It's, it's obviously it's an it's a hook, and it's got mm. people talking about it. But it's something about it feels a little bit cynical to me. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. kind of it feels of, like it, stunt casting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You've got hope he's brilliant, yeah. and I'm sure it's a, a really emotional, lovely thing for him to be able to. God, what better way to kind of continue to get to know your parent once they've died than actually becoming them and getting mm. under their mm. skin. That must be really kind of fascinating and, yeah. and I'm sure pretty emotional for him. What else True. have we got? Well, you, other casting news. So fle- other Fleabane news. This was announced on the day of the screening that I went to the other night. Dame Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah. 
and Fiona Shaw yeah. are going to be in the new series of Phoebe. They weren't in the first episode, and they won't say who they're playing, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge refused to say who they're playing at the, in the Q&A. But I have to, in the press release, I wouldn't normally, the, press, the quotes from them are brilliant, I have to say. So Kristen Scott Thomas, this is Kristen Scott Thomas's quote, Phoebe Waller-Bridge cannot be ignored. She manages to hit core issues with sledgehammer brutality as she trips along with a spring in her step. I laughed helplessly as I binge-watched the first brilliantly funny series and enjoy being aghast at times. I'm very flattered to be in series two. Fiona Shaw said, Fiona Shaw said Phoebe's mind is like nothing else. But these are two giants of acting, and the, that joining Andrew Scott, who's the main new character, mm. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down with that. Uh, can I talk about Michael Jackson? Always. Um, so, Always. obviously, um, I think the R. Kelly documentary has obviously been, we talked about on this podcast. Um, it's been the subject of so much discussion over the last couple of weeks. And Hopefully you're reviewing it next week. On. Mm. And on uh, Sundance, there is going to be this HBO documentary premiering, um, which is called Leaving Neverland, which is a Michael Jackson documentary. Um, two-parter, apparently it's going to be on Channel 4 here later in the year. Yep. And it's a story of two men um, who claimed they were abused by Jackson um, when they were kids. Um, what's happened at the same time, though, is his nephew, Michael Jackson's nephew, has basically is very unhappy about this. The family are really unhappy about this. And he's crowdfunding to be able to do his own documentary that essentially kind of refutes everything that's been said in the HBO Wow, dueling docs. Blimey. Yes. That's fascinating. Isn't that it? is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, no. clearly, <laughs> silent. clearly. Wow. I was trying to think of something appropriate to say, but it's hard. Yeah, I was like, don't lot, talk, James. There's a lot of issues there yeah. to, to kind of yeah, unpack. Well, he's they're saying that the you know at the time of this article, which is from earlier this week, his his campaign has uh, raised twenty five thousand dollars, which of a goal of um, almost eight hundred thousand. Um, I mean, my immediate response though is what I was thinking of how to say this best is how would the nephew necessarily know what on earth Michael Jackson got up to with two boys well you know what that's the whole point obviously Michael, when you're doing what you're doing if you are if it, if it did happen then why why would the nephew necessarily know, mm. you know what I mean? that's my anyway so yeah but we, yeah though I'm, I'm intrigued by those documentaries i think they're going to be in channel 4 pretty soon after they they they, they premiere yeah and yeah yeah nbc have given a pilot order for lincoln ah. Uh, which is not based on President Lincoln. It's based on Lincoln Rhyme, the paraplegic uh, detective from the Jeffrey oh. Deaver books, which I used to very much enjoy reading. Uh, I think the first season is based on The Bone Collector, which will end... Do you, do you see that the Philip Norris film? Yeah, I like that Angelina film. Angelina Jolie. Yeah. And it had Denzel, um, Denzel yeah. as Lincoln Rhyme. Yeah, I like yeah. that film. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. But it's, I mean, the books are really good. I used to... I mean, Deaver's got, he's got a nasty streak in his books, but they're really, really good books. Uh, if you are into crime literature, I'm sure you are familiar with them. But this should be... An interesting one. It is a network show, so it may be a little bit toothless, but we'll see. We'll, well see. Ne but network shows are getting less and less toothless, aren't they? Yeah, they so are. I think they are. But this is the kind of thing. I mean, these books are nasty. Oh yeah, no, and I like. So, I love Jeff Dever. Yeah, 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 I I would quite like to see the cable version of this. Quite frankly, yeah, but, I know what you know. mean. Yeah, that's um, true. Still. Did you see they've axed the first? Which got mixed reviews. Yeah, I know. I'm constantly defending. Yeah, this. there will be no the second. Exactly. <laughs> Did you Very see good. what I loved most about what just happened? Is like, <laughs> I know. Is, is James as the thought, as the gag came to his head, it was like bursting out of his mouth, and yeah. he was like so impatiently yeah. waiting for us to stop speaking so he could make that joke. And there was a little cock of the head. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, a little, a little small cock head. But I'm getting bullied this <laughs> week. What is going on? <laughs> 
Yeah. Honestly. Well, you, you wish you'd come up true. with that gag. It was true. Oh, it was a good gag. Thank you. To be fair to you. There was um, a little bit of kind of um, talk about Netflix and why it's finally revealing ratings. Obviously, what we've seen over the last couple of months is they've notoriously refused to release any ratings, confirm any numbers. And a couple of things, I think, uh, around Bandersnatch, they re, um, released some bits of data. They talked about Bird Box, obviously, um, and us as well. Um, not us, they, us. You. You. <laughs> you. Us, they, you. <laughs> you, they talked about. Yes. And um, there's speculations to why, and they've said, I mean, c- kind of unsurprisingly, that they thought it's actually to try and get more talent on board because obviously people want to know if something mm. was a success or not. I'm sure they're not suddenly going to start releasing negative news. But as also as part of it, they were talking about the kind of Bandersnatch, the interactive storytelling. Um, and Ted Sarandos was talking about planning to expand that across more programming. So he Ugh. said, we've got a hunch it works across all kinds of storytelling and some of the best storytellers in the world are excited to dig into it. I'm not sure how that's going to actually play out and or I think we- whether it or, will happen yeah because really it's it's i think as we found with bandersnatch right the the format and the trick or not trick but you know what i mean that actually is the thing that takes over and i think we all felt that actually it came at kind of the expense of some of the basics of storytelling but also we've but, done it i don't ever need to have that experience no, again. It's really old fa- in some ways it feels really it, old-fashioned yeah, but particularly, do you know what i mean yeah. which is weird but, but particularly because he made it to, to a large extent about the form and that, mm. that 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 and the futility of and it. the futility yeah. and the technology of it. Yeah. He wrote that into the storytelling, and, and for me, that uh, Netflix, if they sit back from it, it must, I think they should be thinking, well, he's kind of done it. Yeah, there's nothing else to prove. It's pretty. Yeah. Can, that's what happens when you do it. The technology worked very well, and it was incredibly exciting to start using it, if you like. But yeah, that's it. We don't need to see it again. I think I can see it. For, they're saying kids programming. I think they're going. They've already used it, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, and fine. That's fine. But I don't want to see it again. No. Well, there you go. Yeah. No more of that. <laughs> You're distracted by checking something. Oh, James, what are you checking? What was I checking? Yeah. Okay, so I'm disappearing down the rabbit hole trying to make sense of... So the CW put out a load of announcements, which I'm, I'm just trying to wade through at the moment. Uh, so there's a Jane the Virgin spin-off, Jane the Novella, which is a telenovela anthology series uh, featuring stories based on uh, Jane Villeneuve's novels. Um, you know, there are Jane the Virgin diehards. I mean, I stopped watching it after two series, I have to admit who say it's like one of the best yeah, things on yeah. TV. People Emily uh, Nussbaum, is it? New Yorker, one of the mm. best oh, yeah, critics yes. in the world. She, yeah, she loves it. Loves yeah. it. And apparently it's really, really good. I must admit, I don't watch it. Uh, but there's also, so they're doing a spin-off of that. There's also another, can I say another? I mean, I, I say another Riverdale spin-off, but only because Sabrina is technically, yeah, technically is. a spin-off. <laughs> it is. Kind of. It's, it exists is. In this, is it a spin-off? It's, it's totally of, a spin-off. It's I mean, in the it, world. Uh, it's in the same It's in the universe. same world. I mean, it's related to But anyway, this is a definite spin-off. Uh, and this is a musical dramedy that follows four of uh, four of the characters that they aspire dramedy. to Dramedy? Yeah. Isn't As, it a dramedy? Well, it depends <laughs> It depends on how far north you live, I think. <laughs> uh, dramedy. For you, it's a dramedy. For me, it's you're, you're from, from Liverpool. You're from Liverpool suddenly. Dramedy. And for me, it's a dramedy. Dramedy. Um, yes. Uh, but yeah, it follows them trying to become uh, Broadway stars. So follows who trying to become Broadway stars? People in in I don't I don't the know because I've only seen I, I did start watching Riverdale and it was good, but I stopped and I never went back. Mm. So there's mm. not much I can say more than that. But okay. all of this is just building up to the last announcement they had, which is they are doing a television adaptation of The Lost Boys, which is one of the greatest '80s films ever made. Yes. I absolutely love it, and this blows my mind. I'm so excited. 
That is good. They were going to do a remake of that, weren't they, as a, as a film? That was a ne- that was kind of almost greenlit and announced a couple of years ago. I remember I did a feature on how they're reviving all the 90s films. Well, they did a couple of sequels, didn't they? Like the Frog Brothers. Oh, ter- oh yeah, like almost straight to video. Oh, yeah, both they? terrible. But this is, yeah, making it into a series, that makes sense. Mm. That makes more sense than doing a bloody... Oh, um, I'm nervous. Aren't you nervous? Oh, my God. oh yeah, because we've seen Charmed and that's shit. But the thing with the, thing with the Lost <laughs> Boys remake, is... Remake, as long as it was a film. Charmed. So yeah. Joel Schumacher did this. This is kind of what... This was his big thing at that time. And it, uh, not only did it cast incredibly good people he made it at once incredibly 80s but also incredibly timeless like the vampires fashion Mm. haircuts aside are not 80s fashions they're kind of a whole unique thing in and of themselves so they don't look weird like you could take those outfits and put them on people in the TV series, it wouldn't look wrong. But that's the point of vampires, right? Yeah, because they're timeless, exactly yeah. that. But and Kiefer Sutherland is amazing in it. The soundtrack is amazing. Cry Little Sister, the kind of theme that mm-hmm. goes through. Oh, love it. That's one of the first movie soundtracks I bought and just listened to endlessly on repeat. Ah, oh, I and like it, the idea of, of young little James. James, little James, what like sort of get a rocket again, getting his rocks yeah. off to some eighties <laughs> air saxophoning. To, oh. I still believe with like a bike chain wrapped around my neck, <laughs> that kind of thing. Nothing, no film made me want to eat um, Chinese food out of out of those boxes. More. They're only noodles, Michael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. Um, do you either of you watch Suits? No. no. It's been cancelled, right? <laughs> it has been cancelled. So they're uh, like I think season 8 is returning for the second half at the moment uh on US- USA and the States and uh, it's on Netflix now I think. And uh, yeah, it is over yeah, here yeah, and right. it's um they're getting one more season which is the ninth and final one. Yeah. But since obviously, you know, the Duchess of <laughs> Where, where is she from? She's the Duchess of what? Do you know her name? What, Meghan Markle. Yes, oh, I, do. Yeah, I just yeah. don't know what she's the Duchess of. Oh. What is it? No, nor do I actually. Duchess. Of, well, so Kate's the Duchess of Cambridge. Cambridge. So she's the Duchess, Duchess of... of Sussex, Wessex. I think Sussex. it might be Wessex, won't it? Wessex. <laughs> no, Wessex are... is Sophie, right? Oh, is it? We yeah. are the worst English yeah. people alive. Just so yeah. you know, well, this is official. Can, a, can an American help us out and tell yeah, us? Yeah, please what tell called? us what is Meghan Markle the Duchess of? <laughs> Answers on a postcard. Uh, do send that in. But anyway, so that they will have one more. She's not in it anymore anyway. But no. Dulé Hill from the West Wing's in it, and that makes up for something. Um, but there's a spin-off coming. So you know Gina Torres left, like she asked yeah. off to Chicago. Yeah. So her own spin-off, which is going to be called Pearson, for her character, is called yeah. Jessica Pearson, okay. is going to be about her, her Chicago-based law firm, and it will be more of that. It's an interesting one. Sue is a courtroom drama that actually never goes into a courtroom. Which I always found a really weird setup because oh, yeah, it's all yeah. about they they deal. It's all about right. deals. Yes, like yes. Harvey Specter is the master deal maker, right. and he he settles everything out of court. So they they are almost never, they almost well, never go to well, a verdict. Think about right. Think even about L.A. Law and Ali McBeal, right? Which arguably are two of the greatest uh, law bothering shows <laughs> ever, bothering. other than Boston Legal and the Practice. Yes, <laughs> but think about right. Most of the best stuff doesn't happen in the courtroom. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Yeah, that right? is true. That yeah. is true. But yeah. I always loved the courtroom scenes, especially in the practice. The good wife, like the good wife's courtroom scenes, are brilliant. Yeah, but, oh, you know, so but so are the everything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. not about the courtroom. Is no, it? no, yeah, yeah. Uh, out, out of all of those, though, Boston Legal is still my favourite. Really? Yeah. No, Crane. Do we count the Good Wife as one of those shows as a legal? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I think definitely. the Good Wife is like head and shoulders. It's like astonishing. Oh, that's, Beale. That's, that's wrong. But Alan it's fine. Beale. Oh, Alan Beale was great. Yeah. Alan Beale. Right, and that's news. Unless you've got any more. That's no. news. That was very Alan Partridge. Yeah, we've only been going fifty minutes. Maybe we, <laughs> yeah. and we've got four shows to re- to review. Five, but, you know. actually, is, is, is 
Can yeah. I say it's High quite, five! Well, it's breaking news. I told, uh, uh, I have to be transparent. There was one show that's on the Saturday after we came out that only was announced yesterday. And I found it on the BBC schedule and I told James on the way here. And it's one of his favourites. So he'll reveal any yeah. second now. Yeah. But have you reviewed it? I've seen it, so oh, I can I can talk about it, yeah. which is exciting. But it's, we've been very rowdy this week. You, you two, in particular, have been quite oh, rowdy. What? Like, I feel like have you been like drinking or <laughs> you know I'll carousing? Night, but not now. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. Shall we talk about reviews? Yes. Let's kick off with one because I just just want to hear what Terry thought of it. First up, let's go with Night Flyers, based on the novella by Game of Thrones author George R. R. Martin. Uh, this follows the voyage of the ship, the Night Flyer, which is a spaceship taking a crew on a two-year mission to make contact with an alien race. Terry, did this scratch the same itch for you that Discovery did? No. I really disliked this, so I'm just going to cut to the chase. Right. I was thinking of you the entire time I watched it. That sounds weird. Um, I was thinking of you all the, while I watched it. So from the very first scene, which is a flash forward um, uh, to something, it's an it's a fight scene, I think we can say without giving anything away, yep. and then it kind of flashes back to the beginning of this um, voyage. Uh, it is the action scene, the fight scene that opens this show in episode one is just shockingly bad. The choreography, <laughs> the like... At one bit, I thought it had stopped, but they were just moving so slowly that I thought I'd hit pause accidentally. Oh. I'm trying to think of, of positives, but there's lots of body horror in this. There's lots of kind of jump cut scares. It's kind of a fusion of horror, sci-fi. Um, none of it worked for me. I thought the performances were really hammy. Um, as I say, the, um, the action was poor, the some of the fucking CG. I swear to God, there's like this scene with some psychic feedback, as they call it. I was, I thought something was wrong with my laptop screen. That's how bad it was. I did not enjoy this at all, and I had to force myself to sit through an episode. If I was at home watching this, I would have stopped it after the first probably three and a half minutes. I'm really unhappy that I had to watch this, and I blame you, James. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I like the fact that you didn't explain what the hell it's about like, no, what did you, did you? Oh, yeah. what did you say I said I said <laughs> you sum it up in three words they're on a spaceship oh yeah they're on a two year mission right. to meet aliens oh okay fine that is basically can you explain setup? something yeah. to me though having watched it why there's this spaceship on this mission yeah. to find alien life yeah. yes. then another bang of people join them later how many episodes is, have you watched only one. Oh, okay what, so what I didn't understand. They didn't make it clear a to me. A bunch of people why joined one them bunch later. of people joined the second <laughs> bunch of people on this ship. It's like they're are they investigating that bunch of people? I thought it was just. Well, was there also, another bunch of people? The, there's already people on the ship when the main bunch of people were supposed to care oh, no, about arrived. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you assume that they're in orbit. They you know you're well, getting it all ready, and yeah. then the good people, the the team, the core team, arrive and meet mm. the crew. I thought it was. It's weird. in orbit. I thought like, it was it's weird. fine. Oh. I, can I just say I kind I pretty much agree with Terry. I mean. I couldn't. What was interesting was there's the main kind of sexy cast members are American, yeah, and they're all they're all American. They're all kind of sexy. The main guy is sexy guy. Then there's this kind of weird guy who's got this special power who's locked in his own cage. Who's a cockney? Yes, cockney. Yeah, he's, he's like you, slag. No, he's like I love that. Danny Dyer. It's psychic Danny Dyer. They have uh, in the hold. It's yeah. amazing. He's like f off you idiot. You you mug. He was like literally just one mirror. He goes you mug. I'm like oh this is awful. It was like a clash of Eastenders meet Star. Trek and it's not working and like it was weirdly shoddy looking That's yes. it. so there yes. are some shots 
that looked quite good. There was, there was a shot, couple of shots of outside the ship of planets, and you think, oh, have they got that from like you know cuts from Interstellar or something? Because then it cuts to the interior, and it feels shoddy and a bit cheap. Compared to Star Trek, I mean, there's no comparison. Yeah. I was talking to someone this week about just how incredible it looks, you know, especially on a big TV like mine. It fucking looks on you know 4K on Netflix. Discovery. Yeah. This is not going to look incredible. No. I, I think it just looks all right. And, and I think, yeah. and do you know what? I think you're right. I think ha- having watched Star Trek Discovery last mm. week and actually really enjoyed it and been so pleasantly surprised by the production values, by how slick it was, by how beautiful it was. This just looked, and I couldn't help but make the comparison, it just looked cheap. Yeah, like, I kept yeah. expecting... You know how you always say, Doctor Who, and you always yeah. say, oh, it's like that cheap British... You School push, play. Yeah. yeah. And there was a bit where I was half expecting, like, the wall of the spaceship just to fall in on itself because it's made of cardboard. <laughs> That's kind of, like, the level of the yeah. of the um, craft. And, I mean, we should, I just the story isn't interesting enough. There's no... I thought there was nothing that happened in the, in the, lo- you know, in the, end, in the last act of that first episode to make me carry on watching it. I'm like, this is... A, it's kind of a bit like Event Horizon, a bit like Star Trek itself, a bit like Alien, but no, but not but nothing was different. About it, it brought to mind to me uh, Origin, the thing that we uh, watched recently. Yeah. You know, the YouTube one yes. with Tom Felton. Yes, it did. It yeah. had yes, a lot of Origin right. too because it has that kind of space slash uh, Event Horizon, as you say, yeah. feel to it. I really enjoyed this. I uh, knew you were going to say this. <laughs> I was watching it. And do you know why? Part of but, sorry to interrupt you, but do you know why? Part of the reason I was so angry when I was watching it because I knew you'd love it, and I was sat there going. Why does James Dyer like this stuff? Why? What is wrong with him? Sorry, not sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I mean, all everything you say is true, and I can't argue with it. But despite that, I really enjoyed it, um, and I really wanted to watch another episode and didn't have time, so I'm absolutely going to watch them. Wow. But yeah, I thought it was loads of fun. I was, I was interested in where it's going. Psychic Danny Dyer was. Re- Ridiculous, <laughs> but I found that quite interesting. But more than that is that the ship's what is clearly what is clearly the ship's psychotic AI, which is like the this is the, oh how nine thousand yeah, yeah, yeah this sorry, is the twist that, that that they haven't brought it's clearly coming yeah that, that and it's a little glowing psychotic. red light I mean yeah. oh, it's like right. the in inverted commas captain uh, yeah. I don't know like I I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes I thought it was really fun and I I was oh. I you know this mystery I'm like I'm like ooh we're in deep space and there's weird psychic goings oh. on and there's oh. rogue AIs it's not enough. Though, I it? know, but I have a soft enough for you, shit clearly. science fiction. You mm. have to understand my tolerance for science fiction, especially shit science fiction, is extraordinary. I watched clearly. every episode of Andromeda, which is unwatchable dog shit. I've seen every single episode of Stargate and all of its, its associated spin-offs. I mean, I really James. have. Uh, Space Above and Beyond. Did anyone remember that? From no. Many, many, many years ago. <laughs> uh, um, what was the other thing? Um, you remember Earth? Earth Final Conflict? No, I've heard of it. Yeah, I didn't watch yeah, it. all of this stuff. I watched all of it. Well, yeah, well done. There you go. Yeah. So, okay, so that was Night Flyers, and that is a Netflix show, and it arrives. I'm going to say on Friday the Boyd a first Friday the first of February. <laughs> Night Flyers on Netflix. Uh, watch it or you know don't, depending on who you want to <laughs> listen to. Next up is Camping. Now, this is not the Julia Davis comedy, but rather the stateside remake, which comes to us via girls Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor and stars Jennifer Garner and David Tennant, among others, uh, who take a family gathering to the great outdoors. Now, this is one of your vaunted comedies, (laughs) and therefore, I was bored. Well, I have to say, um, I was disappointed. And in fact, I think this is a very interesting 
piece of television. I, I think, it, you know, I, 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 and it's interesting that this was shown towards the end of last year on HBO in the States, I would say October, November, something like mm. that. And um, roughly at the same time as they showed Sally Forever. So it was almost ended up being in a double bill with Julia Davis's own show, which yeah. is a joint HBO production. Um, Jenny Connor and Lena Dunham saw, you know, the original campaign that was created by Judy was written and directed by Judy Davis and was phenomenal and was, you know, in its own way, was every bit of sick, twisted, perverse and hilarious. <laughs> I've heard it's fantastic. Sally Forever. Yeah. You've got to watch it. It's I incredible. I have seen it, but it's I've heard it's really good. Right? So they saw this show and what intrigues me is they've kind of removed everything that made it special. So it's quite, it's watchable, this version, their version. More or less. But they've, they've kind of damped down on all the extremes yeah. of Julia Davis's vision. And, in a, and, and I started thinking about it, I was like, well, in a way, they kind of had to, because if they'd just done exactly the same kind of tone and extreme of, you know, storytelling a character as Julia Davis does, then it would be pointless. And yet it just feels very middle of the road in comparison. So I know... so. Jennifer Garner plays the character played by Vicky Pepperdine in the original. Vicky Pepperdine's incredibly uptight, you know, um, controlling, passive-aggressive uh, wife and um, with, with uh, her lovely husband, who's a really nice guy, and a lovely son, who she insists wearing a space helmet on his head <laughs> because she thinks he's going to catch every disease. And she, she plays, so she ratchets up that character to the max, and she's borderline psychotic in the original version. Similarly, Julia Davis's character is this unbelievably exploitative um, woman who just is clearly making Port Rufus Jones's character like begging for sex with her and just goes off and has sex with someone else in a pub, you know, literally seduces three guys in a pub. <laughs> it's like that extreme of Julia Davis sort yeah, of comedy. Yeah, yeah. So I, for me, this just felt, it did feel pointless because I thought, well, if you've seen the original and then I thought, well, I should probably forget I've seen the original and judge it in its own terms. And it's perfectly fine, actually, when you forget the original, but who, anyone who's seen the original is going to think, mm, it's just a bit blur and a bit, pointless as I say. Is it, for me it's because it felt like it felt too much like girls but kind of slightly older so it was it's obviously co-written the first two episodes are co-written by Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor. Mm. Jenny Connor directs those episodes and I was a huge fan of girls and it's kind of the same concept but it's like put on the kind of Gen X people going through a bit of a midlife crisis so their their sensibilities and the stuff they kind of needle about narcissism and what have you in girls they've kind of overlaid yeah. that here and so um I it felt like they'd taken out as you say all the kind of uniqueness and the kind of weird bits and the kind of quite extreme moments and and smoothed it all out mm. and it's in so it feels very 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 different and yeah. it does feel middle of the road and a little bit safe i think jennifer garner is incredible and i think She's actually good, yeah. and i love her and everything but i think she she manages to keep that character just the right side of um, not likable, but you don't hate her because she should be a complete bitch on wheels. Yeah, she's she's humorous and sort of well-meaning yes. enough that you don't want to punch her in the head. Yes, yeah. which I think is because I think it would be really easy just to play that character as a straight, awful, yes. um, horrendous, want to push her off a cliff <laughs> bitch. She's super charming, Garner, she's isn't everything? She's so charming. So. She's like, but she also, she does that kind of uptight kind of... Um, uh, dead behind the eyes, psychosis <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, really yes. well. Um, so it, I I was under underwhelmed. Mm, yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. I love girls as well, and I actually thought you're right. There, it, it, there was a girls' kind of growth, but but girls was incredibly bold yes. and 
often shocking yeah. and you know its sex scenes were un- un- unbelievably groundbreaking weren't they right yeah. from that first episode this I just felt it felt compromised somehow to yeah. me and um, and I was surprised by that and and disappointed yeah I have to say and uh, it's interesting because Julia Davis I asked Julia Davis about it and she definitely she was like well I wasn't that involved you know I was, mm-hmm. she, she's a huge fan of Lena Dunham and Girls herself absolutely mm. and, and then she I think she went there for one week in the writers room to kind of help out mm. and stuff, and that was about that was her involvement. She herself hadn't watched it yet when I interviewed when I spoke to her, and I'd be fascinated what she thinks. Obviously, it's mm. she won't ever she can't ever say, but it just doesn't feel that it's worked this this version of that yeah. thing. It feels like one of the things where it's fine, yeah, but it's fine. hard to recommend it when there's a better version right. of it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, go and watch the original; you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I want to see Lena Dunham like. With Julia Davis doing something, yeah. I mean that's the dream yeah. for me. I was like, why did they do this thing? I don't, I don't know. It just felt, yeah. Well, that's uh, the US camping, and this is on. I want to, Was it Sky Atlantic? Sky, Sky Atlantic, Atlantic. Even though I've got my notes, I left my notes in the office. I do believe it's Thursday. Thursday the, the hold on thirty first. Thursday the thirty first of January at ten o'clock. Ten o'clock American camping. Uh, next we have Russian Doll, uh, which is a half hour show on Netflix that comes to us from the combined brain power of. Leslie Headland, Natasha Leon, and Amy Poehler, which is a hell of a trifecta there, uh, and stars Leon, as we mentioned, as a woman going through her own personal Groundhog Day. Now, Terry, I suspect you've got <laughs> loads to say about this. So, I mean, this tra- I remember this trailer dropped, uh, God, a week and a half, two weeks ago, something like that, mm. and my Twitter feed went into the most spectacular um, meltdown. A, because you've got the most, as you just described, three incredible um, women behind it. But the trailer was was really good, actually, setting this up. And the premise, essentially, is that um, Natasha Leon plays a, a New Yorker called Nadia. Classic Natasha Leon. It was like this, she, her, this is her mm-hmm. kind of typical character. She plays this a lot. So she's cynical, she's difficult, she's a jaded New Yorker, really self-destructive, like constantly smoking and drinking and all, all kinds of things going on with sex. Now she, it's the day of her 36th birthday. She's at her birthday party. Um, the episode starts when she's in the bathroom, there's somebody knocking at the door. She goes out and she's at the birthday party in, in basically her hipster friend's apartment in New York. Um, and she, in, what ends up happening is she dies, right? Yeah. But this basically, she then is back looking in the mirror and she dies again in a slightly different way. And basically she's stuck in this Groundhog Day um, surreal loop. Um, I think Netflix described it as she's trapped in a uh, surreal um, time loop and staring down the the barrel of her own mortality, um, which is kind of it. Mm. But, you know, is she mad? There's a scene where she takes drugs at the beginning of the episode. Is Have the drugs made her mental? Has she gone down some, some kind of crazy rabbit hole? What is going on here? And it is the weirdest... Um, most brilliant bit of TV I think I've seen in ages. And what's brilliant is the writing is so... Great, and some of the lights, some of the dialogue is just brilliant. Like the characters in it are so um, exquisitely absurd and observed. And she is, I mean, I am a huge fan of hers. I think she is 
a remarkable actor. I thought there was a there was a realness to the characters yes. in it, mm. where yes. they don't feel typically American, artificial, no. idealized. They feel like people you could meet. Yeah, and they're so awkward. You know, they they're awkward. Not yeah. it's not all smooth and glossy, um, and they they look like they're going to be kind of t- archetypes. You're like, they're, oh, that's the hipster yeah, but artist, but they aren't. But they're mm. not at all. It really surprises you in ways you don't expect. Um, and yeah, I absolutely love this. See, I'm not a big Natasha Leon fan generally. Oh, uh, like I, I'm not wildly. What's your problem with Natasha? No, no, I don't. Like, I've got nothing against her. I don't think there's anything no. wrong with her at all. It's just okay. uh, no. Let me. Like, I probably shouldn't say that I'm not a fan of hers. I have not been. Her character in Orange is the New Black is not close to one of my favourites. Let's just put yes. it that way. Right. Uh, so I had nothing against her personally, but so I was I was a bit like okay, yeah, going into this. But she is exceptionally good in this, and she really carries it. I like the way the character is nuanced and funny and charismatic and capable and independent, and in no way tries to be likable on any yep. level. But you like her regardless because yep. there's an honesty to her like you think this is a genuine person who just speaks her mind and weirdly she's like you know what she's american you is what she is she's basically you in america me <laughs> yes like what? all the things wow. you said before just like wildly self-destructive <laughs> sits there chain smoking saying outrageous <laughs> shit to people it's basically you but i love the fact Amazing. that they subverted those tropes right so she's got a cat and you're like oh she's a yeah. mad single cat woman um the fact that she does smoke and she drinks and normally in a sitcom that woman does meet an untimely end yeah, she either yeah, gets yeah. she gets attacked she gets murdered she like you know something awful happens to her but it isn't that straightforward she isn't that kind of self-destructive woman there's no moralization of oh you know she drinks and she smokes and and there's this great epiphany where she's gonna save her own life by doing x y and z the fact she's got she references the fact that she's got a cat and she's that woman and yeah. you know the the way she she does hook up kind of casually with people but there's no sense of of there being an immediate bad con- narrative consequence for that. Um, I love the fact that they needle all of those uh, yeah. uh, tropes around single women, around New Yorkers, around hips. Mm. Like the post-sex conversation she has with that guy yes. is just brilliant. Yes. Uh, yeah, I just, I genuinely, the, I think the the standout here is the screenwriting is razor sharp it's, it all is, the way yeah. through. It's incredibly believable, very well observed, very very funny, incredibly like profane, but in the best way. But yeah. you also want to know what the hell is happening because you do. I think that's you the, do. the the masterstroke yes. for me was that. Because so, when you re- when you saw the trailer and you read the description, you, and uh, you can't not mention Groundhog Day, so it's yeah. clearly a Groundhog Day sitcom, hipster New York yeah. sitcom. But the depiction of the hipster New York world is so great in its own right, and the yeah. characters are so believable, and she's so good. Like the scene where she just goes shopping in that corner, yeah, it's yeah. so New York. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, that's so. It's what ha- people yeah. talk to each other in New York in those sitcoms yeah. where they never would hear in like in London. You know, people just kind of huddle, huddle hustle around like you know, ashamed at their shopping late at night or whatever. And it was so real and believable and on top of that you've got this extraordinary high concept and you really want to know what the fuck is going on mm. and I think it's going to be different to Groundhog Day because I've already so I've went, started watching episode 2 and it's definitely going to go down a there is it's going to there is I think there's a mystery to be yeah. unhatched here as to what the hell is going on with her it's also worth noting that this is a half hour show yeah. so yeah. actually yeah. you can get through this pretty quickly right. it yeah. flies past yeah. so you know if you're feeling overwhelmed by your TV viewing list this is actually a nice little thing to slide in I think Yeah, that's yeah it's, 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 it's structurally it's a sitcom but it happens to have the most incredible high concept and be yeah. brilliantly done and authentic and great. Uh, that is Russian Doll, and that lands on Netflix, I'm going to guess, on the 1st of February. It is. Every, yeah. You know, like a classic Netflix these days, they have like three, four things arriving all on the same day. Yeah, yeah. well worth watching. But unlike uh, <laughs> Nightflyers nonsense, this is well worth oh, watching. what you like. 
What I find funny is everything you just said about New York, I think, is absolutely true of the next show we're going to talk about, but when we talk about London. Oh, so yeah. this is Channel 4's Pure, which mm-hmm. stars, frankly, the extraordinarily impressive Charlie Clive as Marnie, a young Scottish woman who's plagued by vivid sexual fantasies. So much so that it becomes problematic and detrimental to her mental health. So she hops on a train to London, where she starts a new life just on the spur of the moment. But there's a scene in this where the guy, she's like, she's really worried about it. And the guy says, this is London. As long as you don't talk to anyone or mug them, you can do whatever the <laughs> right. fuck you want. Exactly. And that is the most true thing I've ever heard. Like, yeah. as long as you don't speak to strangers in London, no one gives a shit who you are or what you do. And that's why it's so awesome. And I know I really enjoyed this. I thought she, and she, to the best of my knowledge, hasn't really been anything before. No. But was quite extraordinary in this. Well, did you read, I was reading about how she was discovered. Tell me. So she has this show on... Um, Vimeo, just her own thing. Yeah. She had a um, tumour and um, basically when it happened, she called it Britney. So basically if Britney oh. can get through, you know that saying, if Britney can get through 2007, yeah. you can get through anything. And she did this thing on Vimeo and, and somebody saw it and contacted her. Her first ever screen role which is really hard to believe right yeah it's, she's amazing in yeah. this and she really carries it because it's a really difficult juggling act of emotions because there's there's self-loathing there's self-doubt there's like am i going crazy there's you know weird awkward sexual fumblings there's confusion it's revulsion it's mm. she goes she ties herself in emotional knots in this as she goes to London to try and explore what is making her have these weird visions of basically people fornicating in front of her, including family members, which is weird and upsetting. Um, And, you know, she tries to have a lesbian encounter in case she's gay and she doesn't realise it, and that goes horrifically wrong. Um, I found this at once... I mean funny isn't really the right word it was incredibly charming it was unspeakably awkward not least of all because i was watching it on a pack train um but i i know i liked it a lot oh yeah you don't like awkward stuff do you no i don't deal well with awkwardness Mm. and certainly not in public places when there's lots and lots of frankly sexy stuff going on on screen it is worth saying i think that it's 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 about pure o yeah pure o is a type of ocd because and as you just explained she wonders if she's a sex addict maybe she's into women what is this but it is a exploration of pure o which is a kind of ocd that manifests itself as intrusive sexual thoughts yeah um which i read an amazing piece about i think probably about a year ago um about this about somebody who suffered from it and it's essentially the obsession you're not acting things out obsessively but it's these obsessive thoughts um and then you obsess about having these thoughts and it kind of spirals and it's such a fascinating subject and I was a bit nervous when I read about this because I think it's an incredibly um, uh, serious form of OCD it, it does have some kind of intersection with mental illness because obviously very extreme OCD is on that spectrum but also as you just described she's trying to mentally work out and obviously that's putting a huge amount of strain mm. on her and, and it's how do you t- tackle this from a tonal perspective when it is dealing with something um, quite serious but then as you say some of the stuff she imagines with family members and what have you is so shocking that it is funny yeah. and it is funny and they do find the humour in this but there are moments that are oh, I have to say really really bleak mm. there's a there's one there's a shot where she's walking down the road which is kind of and it pauses for a minute and it's absolutely kind of heartbreaking 
I thought they really nailed the tonal stuff. I loved how, as you say, I would say it's funny. I think there are moments it is. when it is, it is. It's deliberately comedic. When it's yeah. funny, really, yeah. really funny. And But I just think it's handled brilliantly. Mm. This is this is writer Kirsty Swain. This is her first series as well. So it's not only the start. And she's mm. done a brilliant job. So she's adapted it from a memoir by Rose Cartwright, who wrote yeah. a whole book about that her condition. Oh, I think it was. The, yeah, I think that was. I think that was. I think that was an excerpt from the book. Yeah. yeah. So, and she's obviously. You know, she's worked with. They've worked together on it. On, mm. on and the tone is very comedic, but it it works, I think, yeah. because otherwise, you know, you can't dance around it. And yeah. they kind of address. And it's got a lot of first person narration, which I, I sometimes can be irritating. But I thought it was really well written and yeah. really well done. I loved seeing Joe Cole of what's that film was in when he's playing the tight the box the guy stuck in prison in the and has to do boxing. That brilliant film was in. Prep for dawn. Yeah, prep for dawn. You know, he's gone from that where he's this unbelievably tough macho has to survive in this world to this lovely, believable kind of middle-class guy who's got sex addiction and knows he's got sex addiction. He's trying to sort it out. And he meets her. And I thought he was such a real, kind of slightly understated character because sex addiction is such a kind of slightly cliched thing when it's depicted usually. He's great. The flatmate character is unbelievably (laughs) kind of charming. Um, Played by Anthony Welsh, who's in an episode of Black Mirror. He's brilliant. The casting is great. Um, the, The... the, the girl that she has that sex scene with she's yeah. great yeah. I think the whole, it's really really good and I think you know as again it's it's all about getting the tone right I think they've got it yes. so right it's very it's very very high quality like yeah. all the way through you think There's, they haven't cut any corners here it's not, it's not a budget thing just in no. terms of time and effort and attention to detail yeah uh, but yes I really enjoyed this I actively physically squirmed at several points <laughs> uh, and weirdly it wasn't even the sex stuff it's when she's giving that really awkward anniversary speech her parents yeah. thing yeah. I I I think I crawled under the train seat at one point and died. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, very, very good. It's that good. is Pure, which airs on Channel 4. I do believe Wednesday, the 30th of January at... 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. At 10 o'clock. Yeah. Yes, watch it, but maybe not with your parents. And that would be it, except that Boyd dropped <laughs> the bombshell that Mayans MC, the spin-off to Sons of Anarchy, one of my favourite TV shows has got its UK air day, and it is, Boyd, hit me with it. Saturday, the 2nd of February. And the reason why I didn't initially realise it was it was on, because it arrived very late in the BBC2 schedule that night. They're showing it in double bills, by the way, to start with, and no one from BBC told me it was going to be on. I mean, they just clearly don't care, don't really know what it is. And, um, <laughs> and it's just, Hi, if you're listening, yeah, guys. Hi. And um, so James has seen it, but we, Terry and I, have not yet had time to see it. So this stars J.D. Pardo as Ezekiel Easy Reyes, who's a, a prospect, which is like a, uh, you know, like a work experience bloke, at the uh, Mayans MC, the Mayans Motorcycle Club. Uh, and the Mayans appear in Sons of Anarchy, a fair old bit, as the kind of sort of villain-type uh, Mexican biker gang. And this kind of picks up with them. So Sons of Anarchy ran for, I think, it was seven seasons uh, yeah. before. And this yeah. is Kurt Sutter's kind of spin-off show. I enjoyed this a lot, partly because I love that world and I love that characters. And, like, you know, they were obviously going to do it. The Sons of Anarchy turn up in the very first episode and they appear a few times thereafter. Um, it's also part of the kind of Sean Ryan-iverse in hmm. some ways, in that Kurt Sutter is a kind of a, a protege of Sean Ryan. He came up on The Shield. So uh, you've got characters in this. So uh, Danny Pino, who plays uh, Miguel Galindo in this, was um, Armadillo, the rapist in The Shield. And the guy who played his brother on The Shield, who also plays Hector here, is uh, is Emilio Rivera. He's, he's on that as well. So there's a little bit of a reunion there, which right. is nice. But um, this has uh, Edward James Olmos in it, who plays Easy's father. And essentially the, the story of this is that uh, Easy's brother 
is a Mayan. Easy has been in prison for a number of years for shooting someone in a kind of, it kind of wasn't his fault, but it was type situation. And he, unbeknownst to everyone except his father, has cut a deal with the feds to essentially bring down the Galindo drug cartel by informing on the cartel who work with the MC. And he's joining the MC kind of as a kind of, as a rat, as a mole, but not to sell. It's complicated. Anyway, <laughs> he's got a deal. That's the whole thing. But so the, the theme of this is quite, I think the misstep they made here, the thing that stops this from being as good as Sons of Anarchy is Sons of Anarchy started as a show about MC culture, about the motorcycle yes. club, yeah. about just living in that world and it being so alien to what we know. And reveling in that was half the fun and then as Sons of Anarchy went along it got more and more complex and involved and hard to follow and lots and lots of different things happened Mm. and it wasn't as fun then and I hoped with this one they would slow it right down and start again like let you revel in the culture let you revel in the characters let you become familiar with them but it doesn't it drops you right in with a fed conspiracy a DA coming in Mexican rebels the cartel Mm. torture there's dismemberment guy gets his arm hacked off someone else gets set on fire I mean Kurt Sutter does horrific things to characters on television. Anyone who's seen Sons of Anarchy will be well aware of that. Uh, This is likewise upsetting. But I think when you stick with it, you do start to warm to them. I don't think the characters are as memorable as the Sons of Anarchy characters yet, but I hope they will be. But ultimately, this comes down to this. If you haven't seen Sons of Anarchy, don't watch this. It would be ridiculous. Go and get the Sons of Anarchy box set and watch that. Duh. However, if you have seen and enjoyed Sons of Anarchy, obviously watch this because it is more of the same. So, so I've cool. never seen Sons of Anarchy, and my you'd love it. My brother it's is horrible. my brother says that my brother is obsessed <laughs> with it, and he always says to me whenever I go home, "You have to watch it. You yeah. love it." And I think I'm going to start it this weekend. Well, funnily I'm enough, go for it. It's good. I agree with you. It started. It was great when it was about that culture. Yeah. it was something you just don't know about. No. You don't see the gr- gritty reality of and it. And there's so much. There's so much intricate yeah. hierarchy to it, and the way it all works. It's quite. It's quite fascinating. Yeah, they've got their president, their master at arms, the different sort of people in it. And what the little badges on their little leather cut vest things are. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, you should, Terry. I'm actually going to rewatch Sons of Anarchy once I finish my show. Oh, re-watch. it's a rewatch coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I sense, James rewatch. I sense a Sons. Yeah, re-watch you refuse coming. to see the greatest documentaries ever <laughs> made, but you are <laughs> going to rewatch all seven seasons of Sons of Anarchy. Well, get me a documentary about biker gangs, and maybe I'll watch it. <sighs> okay, I will. that's what I'm saying. I'm sure so that's are. Mayans MC, which comes to board. What was it again? Uh, BBC Two, Saturday the second of February at ten o'clock. There you go. Very exciting for Suns fans. And that's it. If we were going to pick a recommendation, if we were going to pick one thing you had to watch this week, I think we can all agree it is... Russian, Russian doll. doll. But Pure's really good as well. Russian doll. Yeah. yeah. Russian doll and Pure. Let's have a duel. They're half an hour each. So I think if we were yeah. to... Well, Pure with that is 45. I oh, really? Say. Yeah. All right. Well, let's assume that you're missing <laughs> the saying. adverts. If we're going to block out just over an hour of your time, make it a double bill of Russian doll and Pure. Yeah. Yes. And then maybe watch Night Flies afterwards. And that is it... <laughs> But, as ever, we have just enough time for our Banshee segment. Yes. So we can pull something out of the archive. I sense Boyd's prepared for this. Well, one. do you know what happened to you this week? So this week, one of the, my, my hectic week, I did a morning of radio interviews um, on behalf of Now TV, the streaming service version of Sky, if you like, yes. right? And in the middle of it all, there were all these local radio stations interviewing me about what's on TV, my favourite box sets and stuff. So I'm going on about the obvious ones, you know, Westworld, Game of Thrones, Big Little Lies, etc., etc. And one of these guys who interviewed me from, like, he was, I think he was in um, Southampton or something mentioned this show Future Man now so two my immediate thoughts were Future Man never heard of it 
um, why haven't I heard of this show? And he started explaining it to me. And I said, what channel is it on? He couldn't remember what channel it was on. So that got me. I was like, oh, okay. Does it even, is, is it, is it even exist on any channel in this country? And then I'm thinking, why hasn't James ever mentioned it? Because it's fairly <laughs> recent. But it exists. It's on Sky Box Sets. And it's, it's, it's from the Sci-Fi Channel. It was shown on the Sci-Fi Channel here first. And it's described as a mashup between The Last Starfi- Starfighter, Back to the Future, and Terminator. I mean, I'm sold. It's got your name written all over it. And you're a blank face. And you've never, never heard, heard of it. it. Oh, I know. my God. It's incredible. Which but, means he can now never watch it. I know. Right. Because oh, you've this told is the him test. about it. This is the test. Will you watch it, even though you're late to the party? I don't know. But it is sci-fi, and Sell it's got it. your name written all over it. Come on, let's hear more. Well, it's from the minds of Kyle Hunter and Ariel Shafir. The writers have brought a sausage party to the big screen, random. And it's about Josh Futterman, played by Josh Hutchinson, of Hunger Games fame, who's quite handsome, a janitor by day, gamer by night, who's recruited by mysterious visitors to travel through time to prevent the extinction of humanity. I mean, it sounds very me. Yeah. And I started watching a few minutes of it, and it looks fine. And is it, is it finished? Is it still on? I think is it's it... still on. I think it's like I think there's a whole season on Skybox sets now, and I think it's going to carry on. I think it's been re re Future Man. Future Man. Mm. All right. Yeah. Okay. You sold me. I'll watch that instead of the fire thing. I've blown your mind, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> Terry, what have you got? I want to talk about Cold Case. No, I've seen some of Cold Case. See, we're good, right? It's it's just yet another crime procedural. So Cold Case is an American police procedural drama. um, And it was about, um, it's actually two of my favourite things, feminism and procedural dramas. So it is about Lily, who is the lone female detective in the Philadelphia Homicide Department. And she specialises in the cases no one wants, i.e. the cold cases. <laughs> so each week it's a separate case. And what I love is um, they kind of go back in time to show you and they essentially show you how the crime happened in the first place. And then there's constant kind of flashbacks to when the murder happened and, and as it unravels. And then at the end, at the end of every episode, Lily, who, by the way, is single and can't keep a guy and she's got issues with her dad and her alcoholic mum. Oh, God, so much to unpack. But at the end of each episode, the victim, the person whose crime had been unsolved, whose death had been unsolved, appears before her as an apparition and says thanks to her and then disappears. So, so it's a bit like Ghost Whisperer meets, meets Unforgotten. <laughs> but they're not actually ghosts, but there's always oh. a scene where she's like sat at her desk looking pleased with herself and the mm. murder victim is like stood in the office and they and they give her a little smile or a little wave and she gives them a little nod and it finishes. Normally over some kind of naughty soft rock. Amazing. That sounds amazing. See, I, I I have seen a couple of cold cases, but as you know, I don't really do procedures. What I do love, though, is Unforgotten, which is essentially the British cold case thing, but it's over, like, each case is a whole series. Oh, Unforgotten's brilliant. And it's amazing. Yeah. Unforgotten's one of the most underrated shows. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can't great. talk about, Brit- like, British British people cannot do pl- cannot do procedures. You're such a... Well, obviously, I've already mentioned Silent Witness, and Unforgotten is even better than Silent Witness. Silent You've got but to that's not time to your British... Really in the same way. Yes. Anti-British All crime right, drama. Nana. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you've just cut me down there. There's no response to all Nana right. Boyd. Nana. I very nearly whipped out a, uh, a British crime drama as as my banshee actually this week. Oh, but on. I've decided to save DCI Banks for another week. Uh, <laughs> that can come to us down the line. Look at you staring at each other in disbelief. I've interviewed DCI Banks. There you go. Whatever that actor's name is. Yeah. Right. No. It, instead, instead, this week, I'm going to talk about the unit. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, okay, so this ran for 2006-2009. This starred Dennis Haysbert when he was fresh off 24 as the leader of a crack special forces team known simply 
as the unit, which also consisted of uh, Max Martini, Scott Foley, among others. Robert Patrick was in it. He was their CO. What set the show apart, though, is it was um, it took a kind of dual narrative approach. So you had the missions and the exploits of the unit themselves in the kind of action thriller segments. But then, then you would also flip back to the base and see the dramas unfolding for their wives in a slightly more melodramatic vein. It was it was bizarre so it ran for four seasons and 69 steady episodes and it was actually inspired by a book it's like a, uh inside delta force which is like a true account of like mm. american delta force uh it's created by david mamet and executive produced by the shields sean ryan which is is mm. which is what got it on my radar in the first place now this is not it's not what you call a stone cold classic i will grant you that but it was heaps of fun and i think part of that is it had these great action set pieces it had these daft call signs like snake doctor and dirt diver <laughs> and hammerhead uh and bear in mind this aired during the iraq war so some of the that mentality kind of was reflected in in the show because there's musings about the motivations behind conflict and stuff like that but it did admittedly have this really odd habit of going from this team carrying out like black ops assassinations behind enemy lines and then you'd cut immediately back to Kim Brown's house where she's trying to desperately kick off her career as a TV radio producer and or, or Tiffany who's like shagging the base commander or Molly who's worrying about the soft furnishings and it is admittedly terrifyingly gender normative in retrospect <laughs> um, but it was loads of fun at the time and if you've never seen it I do think you could probably do worse I love the fact that James these days says Things like terrifyingly gender normative. He's literally been trained by Terry in how to speak. Yes, yes. It's terrifying. It's shocking. It's yeah. offensively gender normative. Yeah. Uh, none of the women get to go on the black ops missions at all. It's shocking. None of the men do any of the chores. No, I mean, this is all true. But uh, it was uh, it was cancelled after four seasons. Uh, Sean Ryan actually did talk about what he would have done with it if it hadn't been cancelled. Uh, I think you slightly underplayed the Mammoth because um, David Mammoth created it. Yes, yes, he did. And wrote and wrote episodes, it, yeah. which is pretty incredible. Which is actually quite funny because David Mamet, his dialogue in this kind of vacillates wildly from genuinely great to absolutely shocking. Well, I do think that Mark generally, uh, as Mamet goes, I think <laughs> some of these things are terrible, aren't they? Some of them are brilliant. Yeah, I think yeah. That is, and, and that a is, lot of that yeah. kind of plays out in this. Yeah. Uh, but he did. But you can you can pick up seasons one to four on Amazon for about twenty five quid, or you can scoop up the individual DVD seasons for about two quid each. I think second hand. You love you love a two quid DVD. I do box love set. it. Oh, oh I love a, I love a fifty p box set. But these are two quid a season, so this yeah. is slightly more expensive. So it's hard to recommend over, for example, The Shield. Uh, but uh, you know, Amazing. there's a the thing. The I'm going to watch that. You might like yeah. it. You, I mean, you'll get well into it. The bit where Tiffy, she's fucking the commander while her husband, Dirt Diver, is off, you know, in Iraq. <laughs> Dirt you know. Diver. That's right. Is it's, that his actual... That's his call sign. Yeah, there's Betty uh, Blue, Cool Breeze, Scott Foley is Cool Breeze. Uh, Dirt Diver. And Dennis Haysbert is Snake Doctor, which is a hot fact for you. My first, uh, when I got my first Xbox Live account, I wanted to make Snake Doctor my gamer tag, and I was mortified that someone had already taken it. We have to end this there. <laughs> I mean, there's no better way to end this podcast than on that little on, insight. On Snake Doctor, on some other loser beating James to, to the... Um, to the gamer tag of Snake Doctor. Yes, on that bombshell. That is it for this oh. week's podcast. Um, do do come and chat to us on Facebook or Twitter, suggesting I don't know alternative gamer tags at Pilot TV Mag, uh, or drop Terry Boyd or myself a line directly. Our handles are in the Pilot bio. Uh, please stroll over to iTunes as well and grant us your blessing in the form of a five star rating. You're going to have to get by without my Disney villain enunciation next week, as Boyd and Terry will be on. 
on their own. They're looking so, at each unless, other. <laughs> unless we record it on Monday morning. Looking at each other in shock. They don't know this because they have to draft some random off the streets because I will be flying off to the set of an exciting TV show. Yeah. Will you? I will. I'm on I'm on the set of a TV show next week. So unless we record this on Monday when I'm back. But um I it's it's a very exciting TV show and it's a secret. So I can't tell Apparently you. from from me as <laughs> from well. Your boss. From the <laughs> editor. From so can't wait to hear what, what you're going to be doing. So I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say what the name of the show is, but what I will say is it will be very odd for me not to accidentally let it slip, especially when I get back. There you go. Uh, but if I do let something slip, then you should feel free to ignore me entirely. Oh and God. if you are so irrecoverably nerdy that you can make sense of that and divine the answer from those references, then frankly, I salute you. It sounds like an Ardman animation series to yeah. me. Yeah. See, neither of you have the first clue what I'm talking about there, no. do you? No. Yeah. Oh, anyway, well. we're going to force you to do it on Monday morning. So okay, forget, so actually, you know, I may be here. here because we'll do it later, but yeah. we'll we'll see. Otherwise, there could be, frankly, someone off the street mm. presenting instead. Mm. Until then. Pilot out. Mm.